This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned in to the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are doing a new topic, kind of a standalone topic that we're going to introduce here in just a minute. We as the constructionist desire that you construct or put together and navigate your life through a framework of worldview. That's our purpose behind doing these shows and podcasts and what that framework or that that worldview we desire it to be is relevant and loving to people. So we are doing a deep dive into Christmas today. And we des- we have decided to uh, unpack what Christmas is all about, what we've done with Christmas, and how disappointed I am with Christmas. And we're going to figure that out tonight and try to get me uh, excited about Christmas again. But <laughs> we are, yeah, we are covering Christmas and really where Christmas came from and what Christmas is and what we can do with Christmas in the future. So if you want to give to our podcast. You can go to resonatelife.org and under the give link, you can support us that way financially, or you can listen to this broadcast each and every week and make comments and answer questions or ask questions all along the way. And through the week, we will answer your questions that you have for us. All right. Sharia Bodner, Jake Fluke, welcome back. And Hello. this is, hi, we are doing one more broadcast, this broadcast tonight and then we are picking it up at the beginning of the year next year 2023 all right so we are going to talk about christmas and where it came from why we celebrate it and what has happened to it something that i just want to bring up i was listening to um some commentary this week and uh, of course a quite known politician was asked why other people are encroaching on the Christmas season while other religious, why other religious groups are encroaching on our Christmas. And they responded that they have copied our Christmas. That's why they're encroaching on our holiday. And once again, I'm faced with this idea of Christianity being very uh, world centric and possibly white centric in its behavior and Eurocentric, definitely that all things revolve around us. And I think that we just need to break free from that um, and think differently. But it got me thinking about Christmas and what Christmas means. It made me a little disappointed about what Christians have done with Christmas. Not necessarily what the world has done with Christmas, because that's usually who's blamed, is the world has turned Christmas into commercialization enterprise or materialistic purchasing take, enterprise. Take the Christ out of Christmas. Took my Christ out of Christmas and all those happy, types happy of holidays. things. Happy, happy holidays. Right, <laughs> right. So you've removed my holiday and replaced it with some materialistic shopping holiday. 
Yet I'm a little bit disappointed with what we have done with Christmas and how can we redeem, let's call it the true meaning of the holiday. So let's read the Christmas story. We're going to read it first, and then we're going to talk about that passage a little bit, and then we're going to talk about the God Saturn. Great. <laughs> Go ahead, Sharia. I'm going to read Luke 2, 1 through 20. Um, I'm in the CEB, if you're following along. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. This was the first enrollment that occurred. Uh, when I'm going Korea... to be a jerk and interrupt you. Would you do your whole mic, mic change thing for a second? Uh, again? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. How about now? Yep. Okay. Thank you. I'm only in the second verse. Do you want me to start over? Yes, please. Go for it. All right. Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. The first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them, the Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel, praising God. They said, Glory to God in heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about the child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. All right. So that is our original Christmas story as we have it written in Luke. And we have gotten from that to December 25th, Christmas trees and ornaments, exchanging presents, ham and turkey, whatever your choice is on the holiday. Some people prime rib. Pass me the rolls because we have to have dinner rolls and lots of food. And we sit around because dinner has to be at three o'clock. So we sit around and watch the game until a certain hour we then eat at two o'clock because grandma wants to eat early and then we sit there in a 
coma for the rest of the afternoon <clears throat> into the evening until we fall asleep. And that is usually Christmas Day for a lot of people. And of course, waking up at 5 a.m. if you have little children ripping apart presents very, very early. So how did we get from that story, just a, a very traditional Christmas story, to uh, to what we celebrate today? And that's the bridge we're going to take. And hopefully you will follow us uh, today along that bridge. But Jake, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the Christmas story? Uh, what do you have to say about Luke and that gospel uh, story there? Um, I'm, I was right in the middle of looking something up. No. Do you have like two minutes that you can talk for a second and then I will totally join you? Two minutes. That's like nothing. Okay. I can talk Were all day long. Were you going to offer me the same question? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go for it. You have something Wonderful. to say There's something our first. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can bring up some things that I noticed. I mean, first of all, so I went to a private Christian school and I memorized this passage when I was in the first grade. Um, reading it in the CEB was kind of fun because it's just it's different than how it right. is stuck in my brain. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at Luke one, but I don't think we're really introduced to Joseph or anybody in Luke one. And all of a sudden, here we are, we're in the story, and here's Joseph, and he's doing this thing. Like, we don't get any introduction or anything. It's just right. assumed that you know who we're talking about. Um, and I think like that's Like he's a known figure. Thing. Like he's a known person. Right. Right, yeah. And it's important to recognize that, I think, because that means that the original audience is going to have some things in mind. Otherwise, the author would have offered some introductions. Now, what we know about Joseph is he was older. Most and likely. Mary was a lot younger. Most likely. Mm -hmm. Ew. So, so we yeah. have the the ick factor there in our in our society. So we have this older guy, and possibly, which we can't verify this because Joseph just drops off the page at some point in mm -hmm. Jesus's life. Joseph just disappears. He's no longer mentioned in the Gospels. So he could have died. That's one theory. It's not important to the story. That's another theory. I couldn't imagine that, that he wouldn't be important to the story. But Joseph falls off the page, and potentially he was old enough that he died from just how, you know, what, however the, yeah. the lifespan of a person was back then. <clears throat> Forty-five, fifty, right but what i do appreciate about how we iconicize mary we definitely like in the tradition of the church we've iconicized mary to the point of worshiping in some traditions they worship mary and if you go to the vatican and you see the pieta Jesus is in the arms of Mary after the cross. And if Jesus, traditionally 33 years old, let's say Mary was 16. Let's say she was young. Uh, that means that she would have been 49, right? When she's holding Jesus off the cross. Mm -hmm. So we really, I mean, let's not go too grody, you know, down to, 13 but let's say let's say she was in her mid to late 40s possibly let's go older and say 50s right let's just guess so she has to be let's say she has to be 
46 all the way up to let's say 52. the pieta she looks like she's 13. if you look at the skin and the lines in her eyes so mary never in the tradition of the church mary never ages and so somehow we've gotten to this place with the characters of the story where we begin to change who they are we begin to change what they do and what they were their purpose was and all of a sudden we come out two thousand years later with an entirely different view and a different perspective of this original story with these original characters to the point that mary never ages some traditions mary never dies some traditions that mary literally like is the co-redemptrix with christ so she's in a sense worshiped along with christ um post this story mary's also supposedly a virgin and so mary uh then is this virgin girl that is impregnated by the spirit <laughs> and all of these kind of strange ideas are birthed out of those kind of conclusions and those kinds of uh, signature markers of the Christmas story. So I think that over a long period of time, the story has changed. Uh, our viewpoints and perspectives of the story have changed to where we have come out with this, you know, stable barn with animals and, and, and Mary and Jesus and, Joseph falls off the page, but we don't know what happened. And, and so the focal point of the story then obviously has changed too. So Jake, do you have some things to say about the story? Yeah. I mean, uh, the story is a difficult one because I think the, the early church, especially the writers like Luke and Matthew, we had the two accounts of Jesus' birth, was trying to answer the question of where did this thing come from? And so um, there's probably a lot of guesses, a lot of assumptions, a lot of looking back at Isaiah and saying what what prophecies were supposed to be in place so that mm. so that um, they that, that Jesus could be more recognized as the quote-unquote messiah um the main issues that this story has is the story of the three stories in ancient in the ancient context you have the story of horus which is the egyptian god horus the story of heracles or hercules and the story of marduk and so you put those three very iconic ancient near eastern gods demigods in perspective with jesus and all of their birth narratives are almost the exact same and so what i think what the author is trying to do more than say the historicity of everything is just to say that jesus is a very important person that we need to pay attention to um Jesus' life is, I think, much more important than Jesus' birth. We try to place a lot of miracle around mm-hmm. the birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get stuck there a little bit. 
baby Jesus is always baby Jesus, right? Right. So why is birth narratives so important? Birth narratives are important to some because it had to come from somewhere. And so this is one of the issues like why the why the church has struggled with original sin or the uh did Mary have to be a virgin did did um did Mary have to be a virgin did the I'm trying to think I'm sorry it was the co-redemptrix of it all the how how did Jesus step outside of humanity enough to be without sin, I think has been a real struggle mm -hmm. for people. Trey, do you have anything to add about that? Why do birth narratives, why is a birth narrative so important to religions? I think it functions as um, like a way of lending um, authority. You know, kind of like Jake said, this is an important person, pay attention. Um, and especially stories linking that individual to God or the gods um, is a way of showing divine authority. Right, especially if the birth narrative is different than everyone else's birth narrative. So as if it can be different, then... And this is where I struggle with the birth narrative that is in traditional Christianity. Because Jesus was supposed to come as a normal individual, fully God and fully human, but to live a life just like anybody else could or did, um, born into an impoverished situation. But now we have this birth narrative that from the beginning in traditional Christianity pulls Jesus away from humanity. Yeah. Like we have this idea that Jesus is now a God instantly um, this is why I would come to hmm, believe or maybe support a different narrative that doesn't remove Jesus from the throne by any means, but to say that Mary was a virgin um, is actually not necessary to say. It doesn't necessarily connect because I don't believe in this idea of original sin. So as long as I don't believe in the idea of original sin, Mary doesn't necessarily have to be a virgin, that she right. could be um, just a young woman or a young young girl. Yeah, we've, so, we've, we've translated a word to mean virgin, but all it meant was young, young girl. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this young woman <laughs> visited by the spirit, right, or or given a directive by the spirit that in a sense gives her a special purpose, a special calling, but Jesus then is not totally removed from humanity that, that Jesus is coming in a more uh, natural, I guess, I guess way. But I mean, you can believe what you want about that idea that does not remove Jesus from the throne. It doesn't remove Jesus from the cross. It doesn't remove Jesus. And so, so uh, we need to be careful about what we believe in these birth narratives or this birth narrative to 
uh, be careful about what we believe because in a sense, it begins to change the story. And it could start with something like what we just talked about and end up worshiping Mary as the co-redemptrix of Christ. I mean, if Mary had a miraculous birth that was not in a normal way, then she has to be elevated to some God herself. One idea that we talked about often, and I tried to bring up earlier a little bit, is that the this is this story was not meant, I believe, to tell the historical retelling of mm -hmm. Jesus' birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, it's not a medical book. Yeah, and it's and its sole its sole purpose was not was only to claim the deity of Jesus. It are the, mm -hmm. the messianic connection. I think uh, messianic connection would be good, better. That's that it's its original purpose was to claim the messianic connection to fulfill those prophecies, where the Messiah was never was never intended to be God. Um, that right. was a different figure. Um, but Jesus did fulfill all of those as we would we would agree to. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the birth narrative for historicity or the historical accuracy of it all, we're losing the main point. Right. Right. Well, the, with a lot of stories in the old yeah. and new Testament, we have to be very careful about, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it talks about historical characters. It talks about historical ideas, but to say something happened exactly the way that it did, um, we sometimes pay attention to that more than we do the greatest commands that were said in scripture. So we lose the, the heart of commands because we're focused on the details of history. And just by what I said, you know, here in the last five minutes, I've now removed myself from most of Christianity and been deemed a heretic by some that would listen to this broadcast. And honestly, I don't care because I just really believe that Christians have lost a proper focus. They've lost the main ideas. They've focused on wrong things. And therefore, they've tried over the centuries, have tried to uh, demonize other people's celebrations and capture pe other people's celebrations for their own. They've tried to modify stories in order to maybe appease or to make their relig our religion like we're greater so we're going to demonize yours because we're greater and we end up dishonoring and, and showing a huge lack of love to people when we do that so back to my original thought that that people are just copying my christmas by having other religious holidays around december time let's go back to that because i just think that that's just a bunch of i mean just pull up a history book or wikipedia some things and and you'll see that that's not not true so so there's something called solstice and equinox in our seasonality of the year and so and solstice uh is the longest or the longest night and the longest day so the longest night is winter solstice so in the in the year calendar 
solstice or winter solstice is the shortest day and the longest night. And then summer solstice is the longest day and the shortest night. And then equinox, whether it be spring or fall equinox, is, is equal day and night. So equinox equal day and night. And for some reason, we have, you know, daylight savings time in there and we, you know, fall back and spring up, spring forward. So we then change our times based on agrarian behavior. And so winter solstice was putting to rest, excuse me, the beginning, excuse me, it was the beginning of looking forward to harvest. Harvest has always been in human life has always been this idea of planting, growing, and harvesting, whatever that may be, literally, probably from the beginning of time, has been a thing to look forward to. Why? Because it's food. And food is necessary to live. Mm -hmm. And so people who have learned or, or the, the springtime comes and the summer comes and all of a sudden now we have just natural food, right? So whether it be natural food or grown food, the harvest is coming. So solstice or winter solstice means that the season will now change, that the night will get shorter and the day will get longer and harvest is upon us. And just like then summer solstice is the beginning of putting all of that to rest. And so we put it to rest over a long period of time. And that is, in a sense, the sunset of harvest or the beginning of the sunset of harvest. So around these solstice times, people that have subscribed to religious practices, whether that be Christianity or whether it be some other religion, have definitely subscribe to celebration around these solstice and equinox equinox times now a lot of it had to do with fertility and so a lot of it was let's drink hard and party hard and dance hard and have sex and all of these activities that they would do in a fertility celebration that there was a lot of, quote, pagan practices that were developed around solstice celebrations. So those are the seasonal. And, and of course, of course, we can't adhere as Christians. We can't adhere to pagan practices like, you know, drink yourself into a gutter for the next week and have sex with everybody. So I'm not promoting that on our show, uh, but this is what went on. And of course, we don't subscribe to that. We're not supposed to subscribe to that kind of practice. And so we then came up with different practices um, or adopted some of the practices and began to participate in some things that we felt like we could and other things that we couldn't. We just demonized or said, um, we can't do that. We can't do that. Now, over time, 
especially like during some of the Puritan style revival times or nationalistic Christian times, we then made pagan practices illegal. And sometimes they, they encroached on our holidays so much or our holidays so much that people got sucked into them. So therefore you were anaphema if you participated in them and they were illegal. So not only did we make them quote illegal to practice, but then we considered the participants. And if you were a Christian and got sucked into the book, that behavior, you were anathema. So that was a way to get kicked out of religion is to participate in. Mike, do you have an pagan. example of one so people can follow along with you? Uh, oh, to get sucked into a practice? No, like what, like what was the one thing that was illegal to participate in? Well, I named like, like three or four of them. Did so one. you were so talking in, about the Puritan times, right? Well, that, that was one time, but I was talking yeah. about pu Puritan type movements, you know, yeah. that, that like in times of our history, Puritan type movements emerged or making uh, Christianity a national religion and making all other religions illegal, like like during the what 350s or whatever, that we we uh, demonized other religions and and if you participated in certain things, then you were considered um, anathema. You were considered not of the fold, not of the not of the group. So not only did we make things like you couldn't participate in them, but if you did, then you lost your faith. You lost your community uh, mm -hmm. because of it. So now we have truck or treat. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yep. So, but over a long period of time, I mean, 2000 years is, is, is a long time for Nordstrom's to uphold our Christmas. So, so, you know, we, we lose excitement over Christmas. It's normal to lose excitement over a holiday. I mean, I honestly, how long have I, I've celebrated Christmas for 50 years. That's a long time to celebrate the same thing with the same kind <laughs> of food, the same cranberry sauce, and, and so I'm trying to think of all these creative things. It's like, well, what can I do this year for Christmas? What can I do next year for Christmas? I was in my workshop with Jake just the other day, our workshop, and we were doing a project. And he's like, oh, look, a whole box of Christmas decorations. Did you know that those were there? And I went, no, I totally forgot about all these Christmas decorations that we had in the workshop. I mean, that's how like important purchasing Christmas decorations is to me. I put them in a box and I forget about them. And so that's really um, over seasons of time. That's what we've done with Christmas is maybe it's been so uh, the same or so maybe without meaning and without deeper meaning that we just have forgotten about it or it's fallen out of fashion so Shreya has a little story about christmas falling out of fashion oh, okay yeah. yeah so why don't you talk about uh 
a little book you read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, so A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Um, I believe it was written in 1843. Um, so this is, uh, I just really looked it up specific. this afternoon. Okay. To... okay good. I believe <laughs> be it was sure written. It was a real and... story, Cause I'm pretty sure it's a real story. Like there's some hype around the story, but I do think this sure. is a real story. Right. Um, so 1843 ish. Um, I want to say that's Victorian England. It's um, after the Industrial Revolution has pretty well set in. Um, and yeah, Christmas kind of just fell out of fashion. People weren't really doing Christmas anymore. Um, and that was largely because of the Industrial Revolution. Um, it separated people from the land. And so those seasonal based practices, um, the harvest based practices, um, but it also separated people from each other. Um, so rather than taking care of each other as a community, it's just you as an individual or maybe your individual household trying to survive abject poverty. Um, and those shifts moved people away from Christmas because it was a seasonal communal celebration. Um, and for whatever reason, Charles Dickens was like, hey, things should be different. And he wrote A Christmas Carol, um, where you've got this stingy, mean old dude who reevaluates his life after seeing visions of communities come together for feasting and drinking and dancing and caring for the poor um, and making sure everybody's needs were taken care of. Um, so that's kind of the story of A Christmas Carol, but what I've been thinking about for most of the day is that during Charles Dickens' time, like before his book took off, while Christmas was in decline, there were definitely Christians in England at that time. And I'm confident that there were probably plenty of Christians who were serious about their faith. You know, it's not like they had fallen away or backslid or whatever, like real serious Christians during this time who just didn't find celebrating Christmas all that important. Um, and that's hard to imagine in our times. And I don't know that we can say whether that's right or wrong, but it at least provides a different perspective that I think is worth thinking through. You know, why do we make celebrating Christmas so important? Well, I think, okay, so if I could add a few pieces to that. I actually love Christmas in the way that, however, the way it is that our culture celebrates it. I mean, you know, if you're in New York, you got the Rockefeller Center, you got the ice skating mm -hmm. rink, the big tree and Times Square. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, you go to some of the major cities and just some of the downtown flair that they have. It's super cool. Lights it's a celebration. And, we oh, should celebrate. Totally celebration. And whether you believe in Jesus or not, it's a celebration. I mean, you know, believe in Santa, you know, it is one time a year where everyone, at least the majority of everyone, let's say 80%, the 20% Grinches are out there. They can stay home, but let's say 80% of like, at least, um, modern cultures. Okay, so 80% of, because there are cultures that I guess wouldn't celebrate Christmas 
in the way that we do. So let's 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 just look at like our culture in America, Euro, uh, European culture, and some of the cultures that subscribe to Euro American type behavior. Western culture. So you're looking at all Western cultures. No. Is there? Okay. No. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to say that very specifically. I'm trying to say that very specifically. It's one time per year that that group, 80% of them, that they celebrate something, right? Because the reason why I say that is the the people group that I, that I, you know, just kind of categorized, they have a hard time celebrating anything. Because like Asian people, they celebrate so much. I mean, when you go to some of the festivals in like Thailand and some of the Southeast Asian countries, it is a huge celebration. Eastern cultures, huge celebration. You come to, you know, California and they don't celebrate nothing. You know, so like there's, 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 there's a sense the celebration or the idea of celebration is not in our culture. It's not in our, it's not in our lifestyle rhythm, our meaning, okay, call it Western culture, but I'm talking a very, you know, specific part of Western culture. So what's your so, last you're trying to speak to? I'm not sure. I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is there's a certain group of people that we are living amongst, the three of us, that has a very difficult time celebrating anything. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We're too addicted. We're too just wrapped up in the wrong things, wrong focuses, wrong ideas. And we call ourselves Christians and we're still like, even those people that call themselves Christians are still wrapped up in the wrong ideas, wrong focuses and too distracted that we just don't celebrate. We don't celebrate much. And that's really sad. Christmas is just one time that I see that that cross section of people actually celebrate something. If they, if they actually like, I don't know. I feel like lately, um, not lately. I think post nineteen sixty forties Coca Cola style. Oh, that's the earlier than that, isn't it? That's <sighs> forties. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Santa Claus, Santa Coca Cola, Santa Claus. Yeah, let's talk about. I think the stress of trying to trying to achieve gifts has caused celebration to go on the back burner and more anxiety to go on the front. Mm. So you think gift giving has created an anxiety around Christmas? I think they, is that Paisley? <laughs> yeah. Oh. He's dreaming. Sorry, dreaming. <laughs> yeah. The, the issue of gift giving and well, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but um, Christmas engages in that, especially in, in 
in the extreme gift giving and the unintentional gift giving that we have like in, no t intentionality behind it just acquisition yeah. sure it becomes more of a practice of the um, we we talked about the hedonic treadmill already like uh, right the, a long time ago next, yeah Mm -hmm. the next and the greatest and next and the greatest and next and the greatest instead of actually celebrating it becomes just more about about consumering consumering mm -hmm. consumption and consumerism consumerism yeah mm -hmm. commiserating so here's a couple of thoughts about uh christmas that probably I don't know. It's probably not going to blow anybody's minds, but definitely there are some things about uh, Christmas that that we believe that probably is just not true. Okay. So the historic date of Christmas of Jesus's birth is December 25th. Probably didn't happen on December 25th. Probably not even close to December 25th. Um, probably some of the Christian traditions that we have definitely predate uh, our traditional Jesus and the birth, the narrative that we read. Definitely the things that we uh, celebrate or do during Christmas go far beyond those that, that date. Um, 2000 years ago. So the idea of mistletoe. Mistletoe is an ancient practice. So kiss me under the mistletoe, right? That idea of mistletoe is, is long an ancient practice to protect me basically from a storm. So they would hang mistletoe for protection. They would hang mistletoe uh, for like the protection even of fear, the fear of storm or things like that. So it was a symbol. Lightning and fire. Yeah, thunder and lightning. So it was a symbol of peace and it was a symbol of joy, but it's always been considered uh, peace and joy. It's always been considered, the, the mistletoe has always been considered the symbol of peace and joy. It's not something that, that, Christians and Christmas all of a sudden just, you know, uh, we invented this idea that we're going to have mistletoe. And not specifically like Christian peace or Christian joy. Either. Right. It was just, no, no, no. It was just all just about we're during this season, right. during this season, we're going to hang the mistletoe to, uh, to usher in peace and joy and protection. And protection. Why was that chosen? Um, I have, I have no idea. But what I, mean, I do know, if you is think about it, right, um, on the top of oak trees, because this is yes. going to be Celtic mm -hmm. faith, right? Right. Top of oak trees, they probably at some point saw. Well, maybe the trees with mistletoe don't get struck by lightning. Oh yeah, maybe, maybe. But what I do know is that they would hang or or under the mistletoe military people would congregate under the mistletoe and put down their weapons for truce so that's what i do know 
that weapons were actually put down. And I don't know where the kissing out of the mistletoe came from, but definitely Probably putting down weapons and coming yeah, together, putting down know? weapons and making after out. All the I don't know. Yeah, after all the alcohol. <laughs> so, so under the mistletoe, truce was ushered in. We put down our our weapons. Um, the idea of ivy, the the holly and the ivy, right? So the ivy in long before Christians ever started hanging ivy or garland, hanging garland, it's basically a symbol of, of fertility. So that is a symbol of fertility or a symbol of eternal life. So long before we started hanging ivy or garland, it was a symbol of eternal life. Now you can adopt these things and, and hang these things and say, this is for eternal life. I just wanted to make sure that we understand that these things were around long before we invented them or we proclaimed that we uh, invented, uh, invented these, these, uh, these ideas. Um, the color of green and red. Red did not come ushered in with Santa Claus. Red has been an ancient color, uh, an ancient, ancient color of fertility. So fertility is definitely one of the signature markers of solstice type um, celebrations. So red is the color that people would wear or hang or put as decor or decorations around that were was a symbol of fertility and also the the color of green so christmas having green and red makes total sense around solstice that this is the time that you would hang these colors and it makes total sense that they were adopted into christmas season decor um, if you think about, uh, the idea of purchasing gifts, purchasing gifts around solstice or around the, the Christmas season is an ancient practice. It's not something that we can say, oh, well, the wise men brought gifts. So therefore we exchange gifts. Gifts in this time frame have been given for literally millennia around this solstice time of, of year. And then, of course, then you have the Yule logs. And the Yule logs were burned to represent then what we talked about is the returning of the sun. So the returning of the sun, again, winter solstice is the longest night but it is the shift. Now we now our feet are pointed towards the harvest. And so burning Yule logs would have been one of those things. So, so when we think about mistletoe or colors or practices of gift giving, things like that, um, these are practices that definitely, um, definitely go back uh, for a long, long period of time, long before uh, Christmas or the celebration of Christ's birth was established. So honestly, just to take an honest look 
at what we do during Christmas to say, oh, Christians, you know, we like the, the people who deconstruct Christmas. The people who just deconstruct Christmas would say Christians are just adopting pagan holidays and pagan practices into their holiday. But I would not say that they're just pagan practices. I would say that they're human being practices. So just the idea of meeting under a tree with hanging mistletoe to represent peace and joy and celebration, and we put down our weapons, that definitely is something that Jesus would have promoted, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of color and actually incorporating color, that was that's an ancient practice. Purple and gold and green and red. The Buddhists, orange and bright yellow and red. The, the Buddhists have practiced the usage of color for a very, very long time. So it's just a human thing where we use color to celebrate. We use traditional type ideas like sitting under a tree and putting down our weapons to celebrate peace and joy. Even the idea around this holiday that joy and peace and celebration are just something that we have done for a very, very long time. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? About just what we, what I just said and, and maybe some additional thoughts? I'm trying to t figure out like what determines pagan versus yeah like who I, I who think that we we determine pagan when it's more carnal in its in its celebration so a pagan holiday is more carnal and so like I don't see a tannenbaum or a a Christmas tree if we're gonna say Christmas tree are mm -hmm. we are we gonna, are we gonna take everything away or no. <laughs> Why? What, what, is that? what do you mean? What What is the carnality in in like putting a tree in your house? Well, that's not a necessarily a carnal carnal thing. I think that deeming something pagan, if it was associated with a different god, or fertility, sex practices, um, things of that nature, it was mm -hmm. probably more easily deemed as pagan but we loosely use that term yeah yeah I anything have... that's not christian is pagan to us yeah i have a question like would it be yeah. accurate to say that um pagan traditions are also more animist maybe maybe i think okay. public <laughs> I, I we just think... loosely use that term so i don't even yeah, yeah. Perhaps. there's probably no definition to it. I don't. I, I don't know enough either. But correctly, um, if I, I think you probably the other way around. Okay. Is what? Uh, animists are pagans, not pagans are animists. Yeah, but like. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about um, using mistletoe for protection. I'm, yeah. There's like an animist element to that. That you know the mistletoe's personality is one of protection sure and we'll and so it. you know we have all of <laughs> like all of it's these nasty to get caught up in like i do think it all 
I think I think a lot of it comes down to animist beliefs, and so I wonder if mm -hmm. that's maybe a defining feature. Yeah, could be. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Um, so, so human beings have used again different symbols, color, uh, different ideas like the Yule log. Um, and feasting, eating, and drinking as a practice of celebration. Mm -hmm. All religions, really, all over the world, still practice, many, many practice, fasting and feasting. They practice that rhythm of fasting and feasting. So it's not something new to Christians, and it's not our 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 thing so if somebody is fasting and feasting or feasting and celebrating um they can and they they i think it's a human thing to do it actually is healthy to celebrate and i would argue that jake the anxiety of giving and the anxiety of gift giving mm -hmm. i understand the materialism and the problems that we get into with credit debt and all that kind of stuff because of gift giving but there's a lot of anxiety all over the world about celebration and gift giving oh yeah people plan for years mm. literally years for gifts like when it comes to weddings and when it comes to dowries mm -hmm. when it comes to funerals like funerals yeah. i mean look at what you experienced in indonesia yeah uh, years of planning just to sacrifice the bull at at the death to yeah. release the spirit into the afterlife in some Christian. Indonesian practices and they're yeah and they're Christian so okay so there's a specific celebration that I want to talk about tonight and we're going to just close with a few minutes on this because I think that this is really kind of a an interesting, uh, interesting thing. There is this celebration or the holiday called Saturnalia. And Saturnalia is the worship celebration around the god of Saturn, the god of Saturn. And the god of Saturn, let me just uh, bring up my notes on this so that I don't lose... Uh, lose track here the god of saturn was worshipped for very uh specific things um the god of saturn was definitely worshipped for fertility um and also harvest and things but most roman gods had to do with fertility and harvest and such so so to say that the god of saturn is is uh is specific to this i i would say no but the temple of saturn you had the temple of saturn too um and the temple of venus and the temple of saturn some of those representations are actually in the roman forum uh, next to the Colosseum in uh in rome specifically the temple of saturn is in the in the roman forum but at the temple there was a public banquet where people could come during Saturnalia and 
they could feast on the table. And this was a more of a public event. I mean, there was a public celebration. And Saturnalia took place between some of the ancient times. It took place between December 17th and uh, sometimes expanded to December 23rd. So right around winter solstice. So Saturnalians couldn't take claim either to this is their holiday and this is their holiday season because it goes even farther beyond even the worshipers of Saturn. But it took place during that time. And during that time, there was this public uh, banquet. And what was really interesting about this is this was also a time where master and slaves, this was a cultural thing, that masters and slaves, they had a relationship that the master owned the slave. The slave had to perform duties. The slave had to perform the work of, let's say, the farm or the house or the or the community that slave was tasked with and they were owned property. Um, that becomes important because the master would never put themselves in a position of owned property. That was the purpose of this. They were the owned property. But during Saturnalia, the master actually became the position of the slave and the slave became the position of the master. It was a very specific exchange. So the masters then would serve and cook and feast with and give to the slave. Mm, so it was a time. Switch their clothes and everything. They would switch. Yeah, they would. The master would give the slave the, their clothes. The master would give the slave the, the goods and the and the um, the means in which to celebrate a continual party for this week's uh, period of, of time. So it was a total exchange of positional authority, but also economy. It was an exchange of economy. And what I really find fascinating about that is Jesus talks about that that the last will be first and the first will be last. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus talked about the switching of economy, where the, the slave will be the master and the master will be the slave, right? I, I don't think that Jesus really like picked that out of the air. I don't think Jesus just made that up in his head. I mean, Jesus is God and I believe Jesus is God and Jesus can make up whatever he wants in his head. But Jesus used different functions and agriculture and, and pieces of land and structure. And he would say, the kingdom of God is like this. And he would point to this tree or he'd point to this grape, uh, this, this grapevine or this mustard farm or whatever. So he would point to different things. And, and so in the celebration, those that were oppressed switched roles with the oppressor. And it was very, very a specific time for, for that, uh, that order to be, to be ushered in. 
and the reports of it, the people thought it was just the best of celebrations, the best of days. So any thoughts on Saturnalia and how that relates to maybe the kingdom of God and what possibly <clears throat> could we guess at what Jesus, what Jesus was talking about? and alluding to and maybe he took some things from this celebration yeah i was just gonna say what i what i heard you say is that it's very possible that jesus had experienced a few of these parties mm -hmm. oh most definitely <laughs> yes yes and most it, definitely yes and that's, in his that's... teaching mm -hmm. was saying hey you remember the, how we do this once a year this is this is maybe how we ought to live yes yeah so possibly um it's roman so definitely it was around for a long period of time um and around during uh mm -hmm. jesus's time and would have been around this season of time winter solstice time mm -hmm. so yeah definitely definitely possibly jesus maybe could have participated not just observed but maybe was there and said hey i'm gonna maybe feed off the table i have no idea but, but that's dangerous to think that jesus would participate in pagan holidays i mean jesus was a carpenter right supposedly a carpenter mm -hmm. and trained to be a carpenter and they didn't build things out of wood back then and so it's very reasonable that Jesus participated in laying mosaics of the Greek and Roman gods on the floors of the houses that they would build or the structures that they would build. So, Jake, any thoughts on that? Lots. Uh, <laughs> the... I think borrowing from other cultures is is what the Bible does best, especially mm -hmm. teaching. So we've we've talked a lot about that um, all the way through. But it is the the idea of of role reversal, gift giving, feasting. I think that carries on more to like when the Roman church, Christian church tried to co-opt this holiday mm. as, as their own. And that's, that's when we started to see this act in action. Right. The, the Christ mass and the Christmas Christmas, right. It's right. the Christ mass. Christ mass. Uh, yeah. It's very old. I mean, very, very after Jesus's, life so like what three four hundred eighty mm. are and so that's when we would see the adoption of this um <clears throat> yeah it's a it is an interesting concept to see that christmas as we as we know it was celebrated long before by by a different culture than we expect it to be Right, and we just have to own that and move forward with it, and maybe actually practice it. That we have rubble reversal, we have freedom of slaves. Although I, I kind of wonder why the slave didn't think to say, like, you know, I, I have the power now. I'm, I'm done. Right. 
this will this will happen the rest of my life so see you later right and so so what was that check and balance there yeah hmm. anyways so a couple other thoughts Shreya, did you have a couple other thoughts on saturnalia no okay <laughs> so this is where it gets really like oh okay what do i do with this information you know there's always that good information so in saturnalia during the winter solstice that they would be celebrating that master becomes slave slave becomes master the first will be last the last will be first mm -hmm. there would be a king named in the celebration at the banquet table and the king would be chosen by the casting of lots their gambling techniques mm -hmm. right and this king would be named and gifts would be given sounds like some parables <laughs> so so is it safe to say that since you said it sounds like some parables right is it safe to say that possibly jesus borrowed or stole these ideas for his own purposes i mean his teaching since you were the bar, then you said the Bible's best at borrowing him, borrowing from other cultures. Is it safe to say that? Um, I think the the idea of Saturnalia and the role reversal, the um, gift giving, the exchange of power, the I mean, really, it's, it is a gift giving becomes more of a an exchange of wealth. Mm. Um, I think that is more of a, a let's just say, a human idea than a specific um, a specific temporal um, celebration. Mm. And so, like, we see the idea of of that even like in early judges in uh in mesopotamia in in very old texts older than even saturnalia that that poor would will become king mm -hmm. you think about the the oldest text that we have known it was uh gilgamesh right even though even though gilgamesh was a was a king rejected by his father and then, so that's the right story. Am I saying this right? I'm getting this and Oedipus mixed up, so be careful. <laughs> Those are two very different stories. In my yes, head. they are. Yes, they are. Um, is this right? Comes back and kills his father. Am I Beowulf no, or Gilgamesh? That's, that's Oedipus. That's Oedipus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, don't mind me. But marries his mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but, uh, from so poverty to wealth is what. Like that idea of, of the winner's story. 
Well, so in Saturnalia, okay, the master would give the slave money to buy gifts. And so the rich would give to the poor in order for them to participate yeah. in the purchasing of gifts. So Saturnalia became this upside down kingdom celebration. Yeah, Nero Nero's recorded as being one of the participants as the king of Saturnalia. So he had that early introduction as the king of Saturnalia. By the casting of lots, he was chosen to be king. It's kind of weird to think about. <laughs> so they would have they would they would uh, exchange things like knives and combs and perfumes, pipes, uh, cups and spoons, things like that. And they would wear colorful dinner clothes versus their plain robes, what we would call togas. So they had colorful dinner clothes that they wouldn't wear outside in public or in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. They would only wear those during dinner. So those colorful clothes were given to the poor. So if we learn something from Saturnalia and if we are concluding or possibly said, you know, just alluding to the fact that Jesus used Saturnalia and some of maybe his experiences with it in his teaching. It was there. Definitely was there. It was definitely there. And then Christians then were also, early Christians were also around Saturnalia for a long time. They would have also participated or at least been around Saturnalia, influenced uh -huh. by Saturnalia. So the ideas of feasting at a banqueting table or that that would just be a part of human life and so let's celebrate christ's birth how are we to celebrate that let's feast together let's exchange gifts let's wear colors let's hang colors let's you know do things that represent eternal life this is what i know what do you know and so we kind of piecemeal together this uh christmas season i just find a, a certain level of beauty behind that that just blows my mind yeah. but could we could we, in the truest nature of Saturnalia Christmas, <laughs> could we, okay. okay, could we actually participate in the upside down kingdom? I think that's what definitely what Christmas invokes us to ask. Mm -hmm. That maybe I mean, then. Go ahead. I, well, I have a very concrete example. Um, Please. We'll be serving Home PDX on Christmas Day, won't we? Yes. Yeah. We will. I just find a certain level of beauty behind that. Mm -hmm. I really am excited to do that and participate in that and to take food down to those people it's without homes. Yeah. Like have a banqueting feast, yeah. you know, with people that do not have. What are some other upside down kingdom things that we can do for how do we actually bring Saturnalia back to Christmas? Because I think that that's what we need to do. That's what I'm promoting here, that we need to bring Saturnalia, the idea, the heart of Saturnalia, not the not the ritualistic practice worship of Saturn, but we need to bring back those ideas back to uh, Christmas. 
because we have a certain level of Christmas that's very wealthy and very, it's not including the poor. Yeah. Well, I was, this might be a little more solstice than Saturnalia. Um, okay. But something I was thinking about, and you had talked about gift giving in the context of solstice. Um, and we were kind of comparing that with modern gift giving and I think some of the difference is that like during solstice you weren't you know going out to the store and and buying your Christmas gifts and checking everybody off your list but you were looking at what you had around you the abundance that you had around you mm -hmm. and you were giving out of that abundance you were maybe making handmade things um, maybe using um, ingredients from nature that happen to occur this time of year, but not other times of year. So it's very connected to the seasons and to the yeah. earth. Like um, what? I, I mean, so today, well, this week, I can give you an example from this week. I bought 20 lemons because lemons are on sale and they're seasonal right now. And I peeled those lemons and I've got the lemon peels in the fridge and I'm going to make candied lemon peels and oh. probably I'll be sharing them, you know, but that's not nice. something that you can necessarily do. Well, you kind of can because of the way our supermarkets are, but you know, like, yeah, but that's like a seasonal thing that you can do this time of year that you can't do other times of year mm -hmm. when you have an abundance and then you can share. Yeah, like pumpkin pie. Like blackberries. Yeah. Are like blackberries. Yeah. Are... yeah. Why are they so cheap? Who knows? Nah. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> um, there's so many things that we can do uh, that I think would bring back the heart of celebration mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily need to tie it to some religious idea or a religion that just our human condition means we will celebrate just because we're human beings we can vegetables just because we're human beings we we candy lemons during this time and we offer that kind of love to people around us just because we're human beings yeah i think invoking the feast and so Mm -hmm. And you don't have to make everything, right? Right. Yeah. Feasting isn't all about food. It's more about just the opportunity to gather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They would give cheap gifts during Saturnalia. And cheap yeah, gifts yeah, were... Gag gifts often, too. Gag right? gifts, too, yeah. But they would give cheap <laughs> that's, gifts. That's where the gag gift comes from. Yeah. Cups <laughs> and spoons... Knives and pipes, writing tablets and dice, a hat, a mask, a book, sometimes even pets. It's all things very practical. Use. Yeah, it's things all, use. Yeah. all very, very practical things. I think that's something that we could practice. Yeah. Just a thought. You know, that actually excites me more than uh, Black Friday and cheap deals and trying to figure out what Sharia wants for Christmas. I think I already just figured it out. It's plants. 
<laughs> she wants she wants candied lemons. <laughs> All right, with that, Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season and you usher in some of these ideas that we brought to the table to not just deem other practices pagan, but maybe to learn from them and use them and just be human during this Christmas season and give a little bit of yourself to those and live in that upside down kingdom. God bless everybody.